remember, right? Do we have a picture? We, we didn't know if it got uploaded. Pardon? We do. We do. Can we get that picture? <clears throat> Grace Kelly, right, was an American actress who, after marrying Prince Rainier III in April 1956, became who? Princess of? Monaco. Monaco. Right. So Grace Kelly retired. So we can go to the next picture. She went from an actress to a princess, right? She retired from acting at the age of 26 to marry Rainier and began her duties of Princess of Monaco. Um, we also have a more recent example of, of, of something of the same nature with uh, someone in England, Kate Middleton. I love this picture because look how normal Kate looks. This kind of the normal amount of makeup, the normal amount of hair done. Uh, she just looks like a normal, everyday girl. But of course, Kate Middleton uh, married into the royal family and became well-known, right? Famous almost overnight, right? And what happens here is, 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 is the common denominator of the two uh, is that in getting married, they uh, were adopted into a new family. And adopted into a new family, they, they gained instantly a new status, right? Instantly uh, a new purpose, too. Uh, instantly, they, 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 the, the new name changed everything for them. Their new name changed their identity. It changed who they are. It changed what they do. It changed how they do it. Now, likewise, when we come to Christ, uh, we receive the name of Christ. And it's the same drastic change that God intends for us, and even more so than what we see in these two princesses, see? That when we uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we receive his name for ourselves, it's no longer just our personal faith. See, and, and I think that's the problem, is that when we become, become a Christian, we, we, we often um, see it's our personal faith, which it is, because it requires that, but that's just the beginning. Because the, the bigger picture is that when we receive the name of Christ, we receive a new family, right? Hence the title of our sermon, We Are Family. And when we're born into this new family, we are brought into the kingdom of God. We're not talking about the, 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 the kingdom of England, the kingdom of Monaco. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And so when we enter into the kingdom of God, we receive an entirely new name. We receive an entirely new status. We receive an entirely new purpose. We receive an entirely new inheritance. We receive an entirely new status. And so, so looking at our key spiritual truth at the top of your page there, when we choose to follow Jesus, we receive a new and equal status, you see. When we choose to follow, to receive and to follow Jesus, we receive a new and equal status. Now, as we've looked through the book of Acts and our sermon series, Roots and Stems, we found that this is exactly what bugged the Jews, right? Because they were God's chosen people. And all of a sudden, Paul is preaching that actually, and if you were to read the first chapter of Romans, it's a great one to read for this week to go along with the sermon. Uh, what Paul is preaching is that although you were chosen, there's really nothing special about you. Because you, like everyone else, needs to come to personal faith in the Messiah. Because you, like everyone else, are sinners. You have sin that needs to be paid for, too. And even though you might look down on them and those people, God sees you all as one, all in need of a Savior. They didn't like that very much. 
It was like an upstanding family who lives in an upstanding neighborhood being told that those people in that other neighborhood are now invited in to receive all the same benefits, and they didn't work for it. They, they, they don't deserve it. They don't know how to handle it right, and, and it's, they're them. You know, they're them, right? That's exactly what was happening here. And so, really, what Paul is saying is that the only real dividing issue among all people in the world is their personal response to Christ the Lord, see? That's the only dividing issue. God sees everyone else as the same, needing a Savior, and that's why he sent his son to the world through the Jews. Because everybody needs forgiveness of their sins because God is holy and just. God sent his son to everyone. That's what we've been looking at in the book of Acts. And so as we continue to finish up our series, would you open up your Bibles to to Acts chapter 28? We're still there. 28, 28. One of the, the random clauses we actually haven't looked at at the very end. What we see that God is, is previewing here is that God is previewing for us that although the Jewish leaders won't accept this, they won't accept this because they think they are elite. They think they shouldn't have to. They think they're already in. They don't want to be associated with those pagan Gentiles, and they don't want those pagan Gentiles associating with them. But what God is previewing in Acts twenty-eight twenty-eight is that although they will not receive Christ, God is saying that that he will go to them. He will go to the Gentiles. He will go to those who who know they need him and they will listen. Let's read 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen, you see. They will be grateful for the message. They will be adopted into God's family. They will receive the full inheritance, the new status, the new identity, the new purpose. That just because the Jews have rejected the Messiah doesn't mean that the Messiah is stopped. That God will continue on with his plan. So what Paul does then, right, as we know that Paul, we've looked at Paul's in house arrest because we've been going through the book of Acts um, for about, I think this is uh, week 38. So we've been going through the book of Acts and uh, Paul is in house arrest for two years. Last week we looked at Paul in that two years under house arrest wrote the the prison letters, and two of those we looked at last week, Colossians and Philippians. He also wrote the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And this week we'll look at the other two prison letters, Ephesians and Philemon. Would you say that Paul was busy in two years? Like, that, that's a lot of Bible. That's a lot of Bible to preach and write and communicate and process and lead. Paul did not stop until he was gone. To the very end, Paul was faithful to his assignment from the Lord. So what we're going to look at this week is we're going to just, like we did last week, just do an overview of Ephesians and Philemon. And the reason why, again, is that it gives you a grounding point uh, for these books, that they're not just written out of midair, that, that God works through real people in real time and real history. And when we understand that, now when, my hope is that when you go to the Old Testament, you go to these books, you have a better context of where Paul was when he was writing these books and why he therefore was writing it, you see. Remember the metaphor last week we looked at when Paul talked to the Colossians about, I, I am in chains for Christ. And we were like, before we realized that he's actually writing from house arrest, we thought it was just a metaphor, right? I'm in chains for Christ. Good, good, good. But actually, he really means it. He was in chains for Christ, see? And that changes the way that we interpret the scriptures when we know the context. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. Ephesians, you're going to go from Acts to Romans to 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 
You're going to go past Galatians. You're going to go past, and then there you are. So you're going to pass Galatians and then Ephesians. Now, Ephesians was, of course, written from Rome under house arrest about A.D. 61. And let me just start off with the, with, let me just read from, from, from the word to you the first couple verses, and you don't have to put them up yet, Dennis, until I ask you to. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I, I, I stop, because we're going to actually look at that verse in a different translation, the reason being is the letter of Ephesus is, is a little bit different we have to understand it in a different framework or different glasses than we did Colossians or uh, Philippians. Remember, Philippians, um, uh, Paul wrote why. Did anyone remember why he wrote Philippians? What was the actual incident he was writing to them about? Anybody remember? It was discord. It was, it was, a, it was a personality conflict between two women that, that, like any church splits, a personality conflict has the threat of actually splitting the whole church. So he writes... Philippians for that purpose, which helps us, therefore, to better understand those verses in that understanding. Now, Ephesians is a little bit different. Ephesians, we, we understand it in what is known as a general circulation letter, that, that he's not writing uh, to a particular problem. It's, it's generic. It's, it's chock full with general encouragement in the Lord, general spiritual truth. Uh, it's, it's, it's a generic letter that was probably intended to be circulated among all the churches. And so it's just, you have to understand that as we go to it. And, and so because of that, some of our translations will actually translate that opening verse a little bit differently. So if you look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 2 um, in the RSV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are also faithful in Christ Jesus. What are we missing there? doesn't say to, to, to those in, in Ephesus, right? So, so different translations are going to handle that differently. Um, some translations leave out the greeting line altogether. But the thing that we want to understand just when we go to read Ephesians is that it's a general circulated uh, book, and there's general truth. There's not one certain problem that he's actually trying to address there. So Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And he's basically to the saints, Right to the saints, whether they be the faithful ones or the saints in Ephesus, this is who Paul is writing. What does it mean to be a saint? That's a tainted word. What's that? A believer? Yes. What does it mean? That's a good believer because why? We are set apart. Right? We are set apart for who? For Christ. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Uh, saints have all the same problems that we have in work and family and life and struggles. Uh, we, they blow it. We blow it. But the difference being between saints and other people is that they are believers in Christ and therefore set apart for Christ. And therefore they live differently. So this is the beginning of what, what Paul's going to write to the Christians in Ephesus. He's going to say, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, to those who have chosen not to live as this world lives, but to live for Christ instead, which means we will not fit in as we follow Christ. That's what it means to be a saint, right? Now, doesn't sound all that encouraging, but he says grace and peace to you, right? Grace and peace is a common greeting of Paul. Grace and peace is, is he's saying these are the, 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 the two essential inheritances you and I receive as believers, as saints, that we receive the grace of God, which is all of God's love, power, beauty, um, encouragement, instruction, all of that. We receive it. It's available to us for free in Christ. 
And then peace. We, we receive the peace of Christ. We, we don't have to worry and strife and have anxiety like the rest of the world. And so he's saying, yeah, you are called to be set apart. But in being set apart, you are given grace and peace. And Paul's reminding them in his chains, right? Remember, in his chains, he's reminding them of the grace and peace that they have in their inheritance in Christ. And I think how blinded in comparison we are, comparison to Paul, right? We get so consumed with our, our issues that we forget the rich inheritance we have in Christ, See, and so what Paul is right off the bat, Paul is saying, I want you to think of your present context in the new inheritance you have received in the new family and the new status you have in Christ. I want you to think, see it all in that, in that, uh, that framework, if you will. And it's so beautiful because what a comfort it must have been to Paul in such uncertain times to know who we belong to, right? Paul writes, and you can follow longer for the sake of time, we're going to have them on the screen today, Ephesians 1.5. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his sons and daughters. This was his pleasure and purpose. Because of his love, God decided that through Christ, he would make us his sons and daughters. See, what, what Paul is trying to say here is that it was God's great plan from the very beginning to adopt us as his sons and daughters simply because he, he chose to love us. And then he made a plan to get us. See, it's like deciding you're going to adopt a baby. You decide in your heart that you're going to love that child as your own. You don't decide, well, let me just try the child out. Because, you know, I might not like the child. The child may be bad. The child may have characteristics I don't like, may not resemble me at all. Maybe I'll have issues with that. No, when you adopt a child, you place it on your, it makes sense, right? When you adopt a child, you decide you are going to love that child no matter what. That's what God has done for each and every one of us. He decided way in the beginning of time that he was going to love you and die unconditionally. He was going to receive us as his own child. And then he made a plan to get us that way. He made a plan to adopt us. And the plan is Christ. Look with me in Ephesians 1, 8 through 10 on the screen. Again, you can follow along in the word if you prefer. In all his wisdom and insight, God did what he had purposed and made known to us the secret plan he had already decided to complete by means of Christ. This plan, which God will, will complete when the time is right, is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as the head. So what Paul is saying that that God's plan was not only to adopt you and I as his sons and daughters, but God's secret plan through Christ is to adopt us, and then through us create his church that would therefore be his vessel to take back from the enemy what the enemy has taken from him. That's his secret plan. Everything about this life and what God is doing is about taking back from the enemy what the enemy has stolen from God through us, through our sin, to redeem all of creation, to take everything back, to restore everything back to God through Christ and under Christ. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? Lewis, C.S. Lewis, right? So that's what the whole series is about, is the spiritual battle in the heavenlies that's being played out. It's C.S. Lewis' imagination of what that might be looking like right now, but the goal is that Christ would take back fully what the enemy has stolen. That's the plan. And everything about our lives as sons and daughters of the king there, everything is given that very purpose then, right? That makes sense. And that is our purpose as well, to participate in that plan. 
For when the time is right, everything will return under the authority of Christ. Christ is the end result of the plan. Christ is the means of the plan. And as we wait for Christ to, to do so, it, it's, it's growing increasingly. As you and I become more like Christ, as you and I take more territory for Christ, as you and I spread the good news, as you and I bring peace to the earth, it's, it's, it's increasingly growing to be climaxed on his return. But until his return, we are to live in that plan now, see? We are to submit to his authority now. Because as, as he just said in Ephesians, the plan was to put Christ over all things. We don't wait till Christ comes back to submit to him. We don't say, well, when he's running the world, I'll start obeying him. No, see, he's already accomplished that in the heavenlies. He's already, he's already died on the cross. He already overcame death. He's already above all things. And it's just a matter of time now that it's all brought together. And in the meantime, you and I are to submit to him. Because why? Because we are in his family. We have his purpose now. We have his status, his identity, his inheritance. And we are to submit to his authority more and more and more. The purpose of God's work in and through Christ on the earth is not just to save us, but to build a new humanity that will begin to submit to him. So this is what Paul is saying, too. He's saying that, in the book of Ephesians, you can't get it any more clear than any other letter. And that is that as, as God unites Jews and Gentiles, as God brings all people together under the authority of Christ, he's creating a new humanity for his return. And a, a, maybe a new word, humanity is a fancy word. Maybe we'd say new society. And this new society then is his church. And as his church, we have new values. We have new ideals. The curse, the fall is being slowly re- reversed because for God's people, God, we are God's possession. We are to live for God's glory and not for this world. See, God has given us everything we need to do that through the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit because he, he died so that he could create a new humanity, a new society to submit ourselves unto him as sons and daughters because he is over all. See, and The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us. I was getting my um, nails done the other day. My nail lady is a Buddhist, and but she's very, very open, and she asks good questions, and she reads different Christian authors. And so I kind of let her ask questions, and then I answer them. And then she opened up the other day. She was talking about a really deep personal problem with her husband. I won't tell you what that is, but she didn't know what to do. She, she needed advice. And, 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 and I was praying, of course, the whole time, you know, how do I answer her? How do I, how do I guide her towards Christ in this problem? And so she made a statement that was really my opening door. She said, you know, I'm, she goes, I'm not Buddha. I can't do this. I can't love the way that I'm supposed to love in this situation. It's too hard for me. I'm too angry. I'm too bitter. I'm not Buddha. I'm just human. And there was my open door. And I said, you know what? I said, I totally get it because that's why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because the standards and the commands that God calls me to, to be like Jesus, he doesn't just ask me to do it because I could never do it. I'm not Jesus. But I believe and we know that when we put our faith in Jesus, he sends us the Holy Spirit to therefore work that out and do what God would ask us to do. And I could never do what you're being asked to do without the Holy Spirit. My humanity would get in the way. 
See, and, and that's really what Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians. He's saying God has brought Jews and Gentiles together under Christ, the authority of Christ, given the Holy Spirit so that we would have a new value system. We would live out according to God's commands. We would live out according to God's ways. We would live out our inheritance in Christ here on the earth now through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. A good summary for the book of Ephesians is, is 14 through 18 where uh, Paul says, uh, 2, 14 through 18, for Christ himself has brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles. Now, today we can apply this truth to peace between all nationalities. One people. With his own body, he broke down the wall that separated them and kept them enemies. He abolished the Jewish law with his commandments and rules in order to create out of the two, we might say out of all races, one new people in union with himself. In this way, making peace by his death on the cross, Christ destroyed their enmity. By means of the cross, he united both races, we could say all races, into one body, brought them back to God. So Christ came and preached the good news of peace to all, to you Gentiles who are far away from God and to the Jews who were near to him. It is through Christ that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are able to come in the one spirit into the presence of the Lord. That's really what Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians. That because Christ is the head of this new humanity, no other differences matter, see? And no one is greater than the other because we all bow down and submit ourselves to Christ's authority. See, that's what he's saying. This is why then he could write what he did to a brother by the name of Philemon. Now, Philemon, if you turn in your Bibles, you're going to turn past Ephesus. You're going to turn... All the way, you're going to pass Philippians, Colossians. You're going to turn past First and Second Thessalonians. You're going to turn past Timothy, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and then you're going to get to Philemon. Now, this is very interesting. It's fun to couple these two books together because track with me Paul's thinking in his letter to the Ephesians. He's trying to get them to understand everyone is now one new humanity in Christ with Christ at the head. It doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter the color of your skin. doesn't matter your background. If you submit yourself to Christ, you are adopted son and daughter. We are one new society or one new humanity, the church. And so Philemon then, he writes... It's interesting, he writes this letter with this understanding. Let me show you on the screen, Colossians 4 and 9. It gives us a glimpse of what we're going to see in Philemon. Paul writes in Colossians 4 and 9, he says he, and he's talking about a, a man, a servant, a minister of the Lord named Tychias, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who, who is one of you. Now, why that's such a powerful sentence, if we hadn't studied Philemon, we, didn't, we would just gaze right over that. He's saying this Onesimus is a brother who is one of you. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. You see that the social barrier that's being broken in the kingdom of God, see? It's a very big deal. Now, social caste systems, hostility between races and, and individual people, that's lasted. that's been here since the beginning of time. But nothing is more dehumanizing than slavery, see? So let me paraphrase the story. So Onesimus is Philemon's slave. Onesimus... Uh, runs from Philemon, and he ends up in Rome. He hears Paul preaching the gospel. He gives his heart and his life to follow Jesus. He believes the gospel. He wants to follow Christ, be adopted as a son and daughter of, of God. 
be adopted into the kingdom now. And therefore, he, he dedicates himself to Paul as a servant of the gospel. Now, in that is pretty presumptuous of a slave. First of all, that he would run away. Second of all, that he would hear the gospel and say, this now, the Lord Jesus, is my new master. He's saying, that man over there, he's not my master anymore. I serve him. And in my new master now, I want to be a servant of my free will to the gospel, you see. So this is, this is pretty presumptuous of him. Paul receives him, talks about him, how, what a help that he's been to him. And Paul grows so much favor towards him that, that, that he, he wants to make things right with Philemon. Philemon is a Christian brother. Paul knows Philemon. <clears throat> the problem being is that when Onesimus left Philemon to be on the run, he took some resources from, from Philemon. And we don't know if it's money. We don't know if it's food. We, we don't know if he took things to sell. But he took some possessions of Philemon. Now, so Paul's in a predicament. Paul's like, well, you know, with this understanding that we're all one new humanity... With this understanding, there's no one above anyone in the kingdom. With this understanding that he truly is our brother in Christ, he wants to encourage Philemon to release him as a slave and to receive him as a brother and to help him be a servant of the gospel instead. But he also wants to honor the fact that Onesimus took some things. And so he's, he's in a little bit of, of, of a pickle, if you will. So Paul then writes to Philemon. Let's pick it up in verse 8. <clears throat> that gives you the, the background. I'll read 8 through 16. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. <laughs> Don't you love Paul? I could tell you what to do, but I won't. <laughs> Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. A son just means a beloved term. <clears throat> who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. Let me just stop there for a minute. Onesimus means useful, which probably means that was his slave name. Probably Philemon named him useful. And what Paul is saying is, even though you've named him useful to you, in reality, the way you're seeing him, he is useless to you. He is actually useful as a brother in the Lord, as a servant of the gospel, you see. He's using his words to prove a point. He's saying, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Do you see here the dig too? Well, you're not here helping me, right? But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. (laughs) Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And so can you hear Paul's sarcasm, right? He's trying to make his point. He's saying that, that Paul's sense of brotherly love is based on the truth about the kingdom of God. That Onesimus is a brother, no matter what social status he's seen in, and we should treat him as a brother. Let's go on in 17 and just finish the book to 25. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. It's a bold statement. This is a society that was based on honor. Everything was shame and honor. He's saying, I want you to consider him as honorable as me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. 
I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) Which means that he probably led Philemon to the Lord. Okay, His logic is this. If God did not put any barriers to receive you, why and how do you think you have the right to put a barrier up to receive Philemon as a brother in the Lord? You see, that's his logic here. I do wish, brother, that that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. (laughs) Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, (laughs) because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Arsuchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, Paul can get away with a lot, or God just lets him get away with it, because if I wrote an email like that, I would be fired on the spot. What we want to see is that Paul is leaning into the gospel, right? This is so important. This isn't a non-essential. See, for Paul, it's like, hey, dude, this is what it's all about. It's about becoming one new people of God. And everyone is equal in it, and everybody is invited into it. And if you don't get that, I would question your faith. It's pretty much what he's saying, right? That's how fundamental what, what, what Paul is, 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 is writing to Philemon, that in Christ, all are equal in status and worth. That Christ's rule demolishes all social status in God's kingdom, even now while we wait for its full reign that everyone has the same equal status as son of God and sons and daughters of God. Look with me and Paul on the screen, what he said in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. This is a key statement. It wraps it all up what he said in, in, in Ephesians, what he said in Philemon. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all you have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, you see. God's plan is this. It leads us to our so what as we wrap up our sermon today. God's plan is always inclusive, never exclusive, right? That's a given. God's plan always focuses on them and not just us. See, the church may be the only cooperative society in the world which exists for the benefits of its non-members. We may be the only society in this world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. Because our goal, our primary purpose, now that's not to undergird uh, caring for each other, encouraging each other, which I think we do well here. But our primary purpose is to exist for the purpose of bringing in new people into the family of God, you see. We're the only society that exists for its non-members. It makes us unique. See, it makes us unique. Just as Jesus was sent into the world, so he sends us into the world. Why? Because God doesn't show favoritism, and neither should we, right? God doesn't show favoritism because, there's your next fill-in, in God's family, everyone is equal, everyone. Can we put back up Galatians three twenty-six through 28? What I want to look on here real quickly as we close out is that look how much time it took the church from the beginning of Acts to to the end now, okay, to even accept the fact that we are all children of God, uh, Jews or Gentiles, right? There's no longer Jew or Gentile. That took a while, right? That was a fight. Paul's going to end up giving his life for that. 
then think about how much time it took for us as, as, as Christians to even understand that they're not only there's no longer Jew or Gentile, we got that, but slave or free. Think of how long Christians had slaves. And we are called to live in a new society upheld by God's kingdom's ideals and standards. We've been given a new purpose, a new identity. Now, as we move past that, I think it's taken us a while, but I think we're finally getting to male and female. Can you put that back up, please? Male and female. There is no longer do or Gentile. We got that. Slave or free. We got that. There is no longer male or female. The reason I camp here for a minute is because this is really one of the, 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 the primary reasons. It's really the primary reasons why the covenant ordains women as well as men into leadership roles. Because we believe that Christ has equally redeemed all people, both men and women, to become what? One in Christ with Christ as the head. You see? So just as it took time for us to understand that, we realize it took time for us to understand this as well. That because Christ is the head, neither a man nor a woman should be leading if Christ has not told them to do so. See, not just a woman shouldn't do it, but neither a man if he is not called by Christ to do so. And we would put those same standards and those same requirements on a woman as we would a man. God calls and appoints as he pleases, not by our self-appointed cultural boxes, right? So all of us, no matter our gender, no matter economic status, no matter our nationality, must all, male and female, equally submit ourselves to Christ and one another. And in that submitting ourselves to Christ, we therefore let God decide how to run his church. We don't let our cultural framework that, as we look over history, can be very, very biased. But we go to the scriptures and we say, What is God doing today to help us to grow more into the kingdom of God here and now? What's the current work he's doing to help us get that? That we are all one in Christ. We are equally redeemed. And in that equality, God then assigns us different assignments, gives us different spiritual gifts. It's interesting that in the spiritual gift list, there's no male or female listed. He gives gifts of preaching, gifts of teaching, gifts of leading. never says four men. Now, we don't have time to look at all the other problematic passages, but that gives you the basis for it. It's really the the grounding basis that we are one in Christ. And as long as, let's say, a lead pastor is submitting him or herself to Christ as the head, see? It's It's not that I am in charge of the church. It's that I am called to be a minister of the word and sacrament, which means the word, the living word, the written word, is in charge of the church. And what I'm called to do then is to therefore administer, support, encourage, teach the word, live by the word, guide us by the word. That's just my calling. It's not that big of a deal. You could call me whatever you want, but it's not like I'm the bigwig. Okay? I'm just called to serve and administer the word because the word is in charge. But if we put a man in charge, we forget the words in charge. See the difference? We are one in Christ, male and female. Jew or Gentile, slave or free. This is what God has called us to understand, and this is what Paul is writing as he comes to the end of his life. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have equally called all people, Jews, pagans, 
all nationalities, all color of skin, all intellects, all economic social status, male, female, all people, Lord. You have called them all to yourself. I thank you, Lord, that from the beginning of time, you decided that you were going to love us unconditionally. And you were going to call us to be your sons and your daughters. And you were going to equally give us a new inheritance, a new status, a new purpose. And we are all part of your family with Christ as the head. Thank you that you made Christ the plan for it all. Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you with, with the different roles and giftings and, and, and callings that you've given us, Lord. No, no matter we're out in the work field, no matter we're raising kids, no matter we're, we're, we're serving the word, whatever it is, Lord, we just want to serve you in it. We want to obey you with the assignment you've given us because we are your sons and your daughters. And you are our papa, and you are our God, and you are supreme over all. And we rest in that, Lord. It's not about us. We don't have to prove ourselves. You already adore us. We have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, only to love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. What we're going to do now is is just transition into our congregational meeting. We're going to use this song to, do you want to say something, Tom? Yeah, I was already going to announce that. I'm a step ahead. Thank you. But sometimes I don't, which is good. So what we're going to do is we're going to use this song to transition us from the end of the service to the beginning of the congregational meeting because we do have kiddos in their rooms. We want just a smooth flow. So during this song, uh, if you're not a member of the church and you don't want to stay for the congregational meeting, you're welcome to if you just want to stay and check it out. Um, You can leave after the song, during the song. If you're going to stay for the congregational meeting, I encourage you to use the restroom. I encourage you to get coffee, a donut, come back in. By the end of the song, there's your timer, okay? So Franny's more gracious than I am, so she'll probably give you a little extra time if she's out there. But by the end of the song, then we're going to start our meeting, okay? Bless the Lord. Thank you.
have come up. Um, I was going to do this next week, but um, she doesn't know if she'll be able to be here next week. So Charlene is, is moving just for maybe three months, and she's doing a special study. Can you say what it's called? A special study for x-ray in North Carolina. And so it's like an internship thing. So Charlene, I don't know if you know, but... Whoops. But she... You okay? Okay. Oh. She okay? Okay. Um, so basically, Charlene has been... Um, she knows she's not going to... She has to do this internship. Of course, she won't get paid. So she has been working around the clock trying to save up enough money um, for the next four months to pay her bills. Right? Did you, did you prepay your car payment already three months? Right. So, so she's she's prepaid her car payment through the summer. This is a big deal. She's going to be driving out to North Carolina by herself. Something she has to do for her career. And I just wanted to send her off with our prayers and our blessings. So, um, let's a um, um, couple people gather around her and let's just pray. Father, we just thank you so much for Charlene, Lord. We thank you that you have um, allowed us to get to know her, Lord. She's just a sweet, sweet spirit. We're so grateful for who she is and who you are building her and making her to be. And, Lord, we thank you for the plans that you have for her, Lord, not to harm her but to prosper her, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this and you will guide and protect her, Lord. You'll provide for her every need, Father. And help her to remember that, Lord, not to be anxious for anything, Lord, but to but in thanksgiving and prayer to, to give everything to you, Lord, and to know that you will supply uh, her needs, Lord, that she could have peace, Lord. We pray, Lord, that when it gets hard, that you will strengthen her and sustain her and give her the stamina that she needs to finish strong. And we pray for her protection, Lord, that you would bring her home to us, Father. Father, we just pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. We love you. Mm. Can we see you come back?